Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of the JazzNet Podcast. Another big week is in the bag and we've seen Rangers progress through to the next round of the Scottish Cup as well as keeping one foot in the title race. As always, we're here at the JazzNet Podcast to pick the bones of 180 minutes of football, as well as taking a wee look at the ongoing circus that is Scottish football. Obviously, it's going to take us a wee while to dissect all the penalty decisions we've had to see this week, so we'll jump right into that in a second. Let me introduce our guests for the show today. First up, we've got the JazzNet regular, Pete. Pete, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, doing great. Thanks very much. Uh, difficult week with all these uh, penalty claims and things like that. No doubt we'll get into them. So I decided today to penalise myself and go in and pull wallpaper off the wall. So I've been doing that all day. That sounds like a, a, a cracking Monday for you, Pete, uh, living it up on the continent, eh? Yeah, it's great. It's great. Everybody thinks we, we have plenty of fun out dancing and doing everything in the continent, but... Yeah, just like the rest of us tearing wallpaper <laughs> off the walls. Yeah, that's it. Also with us this evening, it's a warm welcome back to Christine Somerville. Christine, welcome along. How's things with you? Yeah, I'm really good, Ross. Thanks very much for asking. Um, on uh, two weeks in a row, um, for a wee, for a wee change, um, I think somebody pulled out, so I'm on two weeks in a row. So to the guy on Twitter that really hated me, I apologise for that. No, we're delighted to have you back. Don't worry about the guys on Twitter. Most of them are uh, undercover Celtic fans anyway, so I wouldn't worry about that. <laughs> right, guys. Plenty to talk about this evening. The biggest talking point, of course, is going to be Saturday's win over St Mirren. Now, Pete, before we get into the multitude of penalty decisions, tell me what you thought of the game. Uh, well, I thought it was a game the Rangers were in total control. Uh, I, I, I thought that uh, St Mirren in the first half had a really good period. Rangers started good and then sort of a St Mirren came into it. And, well, they really had to come out after Rangers scored the penalty. Uh, St Man came really into the game I thought and actually gave quite a good show and it wasn't until we really got the second goal that sort of uh, killed St Man they sort of uh, dropped their heads at that bit but I I, I thought it was quite a good game and I think think you're going to uh, hit in the manager's comments after it which uh, which we'll discuss later, I believe. I will definitely come on to the manager's comments because, I mean, I, I certainly found Stephen Gerrard's post-match interview quite interesting. So we'll, we'll come on to that in a sec. Christine, how about yourself? I take it you were at the game. What, what did you think of it? Yeah, I was at the game. Um, I thought, I, I, I kind of agree with Pete to a certain extent uh, that St Mirren did comment it for a wee while without actually really causing us any great danger really you know when I don't think we ever looked as if we were going to concede a goal um but uh, I think sometimes when you score as early as we did it then sets up an expectation that you're going to just keep keep scoring and obviously that didn't happen and as, as it was getting to uh, near half time obviously we missed the, the second penalty but, um, you know, you're saying, you know, we've had this pressure, but it's only one nothing. Uh, so, but the second half was, um, I think we were all over them the second half. They weren't really in it at all. Did St Mirren have a shot and goal, Christine? I don't think so. I Not don't that. think they did either. That's no. the thing, you know, I mean, 
like you say, Dave, uh, Pete, there was obviously a period in the first half where St Mirren were very comfortable holding the ball. And actually, I thought that for a while we gave them quite a lot of space. Um, particularly coming into our into our half, they had a lot of space. They moved the ball all right. Um, they held on to possession okay. But I, I don't remember McGregor touching the ball other than taking a goal kick. To be honest, so it's you know it's not as if we were ever in any danger. And actually, a, other than about ten fifteen minutes in the first half, I thought that St Mirren were one of the poorest sides I've seen us play this season. And I mentioned earlier, uh, Christine, that I found Stephen Gerrard's comments slightly odd in the post match interview. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of I'll come on to my thoughts in a, in a minute, but I'd like to hear what what you thought of his comments that we had a, a poor first half and better in the second half. Do you do you agree with that? To an extent, I do. Um, but he he did qualify it, Rose, by saying that maybe he was just looking for too much sometimes from the players, um, and I think that maybe that's there's a, a frustration there because. We know how we, how well we can play at times, and if we don't live up to that, you know, he's seeing it as not a good performance. But I, think I, I, it, I think we did okay. Is it possible then that that's maybe something to do with the fact that obviously he had such a high quality as a player that he gets a wee bit frustrated that you know maybe Ross McCrory doesn't he pass the ball as well as Stephen Gerrard did, or um, you know this kind of thing that the, the standard that he's seeing in front of him must frustrate him in a way because it's. You know, with all respect to our players, it's a drop in standard from the level that Steven Gerrard was playing at for most of his career. I think undoubtedly, yeah, Rose, that, um, you know, he's obviously got very high standards. And um, but as I said, we're, we're still, we still lack the, that consistency. Uh, that we give the ball away an awful lot. I don't know what MDLs, whether MDLs agrees with me, but I think sometimes it, it's so frustrating. We just, hit the ball and it's it goes to you know the opposition and you're thinking why did why did you do that I think the point I was trying to make was that Gerard for me was quite strong and assertive in his criticism of, of Rangers at half time um in that I think he said at half time he walks in and, and everyone's eyes are on the floor because they know it's not good enough and they know it's not the standards that we expect it's easy to forget that you know, we were we were winning and we were comfortable. I don't think they had a shot on target, like I've said. Um, do you think that he was maybe over the top with his criticism there? How did you view our first half performance in particular? Well, I, I think you've got to remember that, that there's another team in the field. We, we can't uh, be 90 minutes in control of the ball. And I think even when St Mirren were in the ball, the transition from Rangers to, to from defending to attack was lightning quick. And really, we should have scored at that time because some of the breaks were absolutely brilliant. And it was just one-touch football right away. And we had a lot of good chances, just unfortunate. The keeper, the St Man keeper, pulled off a few good saves. I think that's, that's got a lot to do with Ryan Kent coming back to the side, hasn't it? The, the pace that he brings in transitioning from defence to attack and taking players on and linking up with the forwards, is, I think, is excellent and makes a real difference. Well, the link-up with Barisic... It's sort of a, the same in the, the other side with uh, Tavernier and Candias. So now we're sort of a seem more balanced. And I, I think Barisic and Kent, that could turn into a great couple. I, I, I certainly agree with you. I think now we see a bit more balance in that 
like you say, the relationship that developed last season into this season between Candace and Tavernier was was excellent. And I was saying this to the guys that I was at the game with on, on Saturday, that you notice when Candace is out of the side, not just because I think Candace creates a lot going forward. I think he's you know a, a real asset to the side, but the defensive understanding that he has with Tavernier, that they'll cover each other, that Candace will track back and always fight to win the ball back in his own half. If we can replicate that on the left-hand side, um, then that's, that's a real bonus that's a real plus and it makes us a lot stronger obviously the only difficulty there that we'll have is that both Kent and Barisic have been injured for large portions of the season so there's kind of question marks hanging over their fitness there um Christine if we go back to to Stephen Gerrard the manager last time I think you and I were on a podcast together you were talking about how you were waiting for an invite to go and have a bottle of wine with Stephen Gerrard I know you're a big fan of the man I am in in my opinion though sometimes his criticism of the players goes over the top He's laid into this side more time, more than once, um, and you know, really let players know through the media that he's not happy with them. It's easy to forget that we won that game four nothing by some of the comments that have come out after the game. Is it fair to say that sometimes he goes a wee bit over the top in his critiques? Possibly, I'll concede that. Yeah, he probably does, um, and you know, this. We've had man well, I don't mean we've had managers before, but there have been managers before. And if to be honest, if it wasn't Stephen Gerrard and it wasn't Rangers, I would probably say he's been a bit unfair in his team. <laughs> but because it's Stevie G, he gets away with it for, for me. But he probably, you know, I think he, you know, he wears his heart in his sleeve. I think he just says exactly what he's thinking. I mean, is there anything that Stephen Gerrard could do that he wouldn't get away with for you? Um, that's, a, that's a kind of funny question. I think of that one. I'll have to come back to that one next week, maybe. Um, well, I suppose um, if there's any horrible, horrible defeats to them again, like we had last season, I would be starting to question them. Aye, maybe if he stood on the sideline, stood on his head and chewing his hip, something like that. Like that, yeah. Aye. Yep. Ross, you said that St Mirren was the easiest game we've had this season. I think Celtic was the easiest game we've had this Actually, season. You know, aye, that's, a fair, that's a fair point. I never thought of that. I th- look, I think, I think that St Mirren were poor. I don't think they had a lot of quality. Um, they've obviously, they brought in Stubbs at the start of the season and he was a he was a disaster and that he just brought in some of, you know, players that were nowhere near the calibre required to keep a club in the Scottish Premier League. Um, some of the players that they brought in in the summer, like bringing from the Conference North and Conference South down in England, trying to expect them to make the step up and play against big clubs week in, week out. Um, so when they bring in this new manager, I think they've had a lot of players going out the door, a lot of new players coming in. Doesn't he seem to have made much of a difference, although it's obviously his early days, they're all bedding in a wee bit. I thought they were, I thought they were poor. I really did. Right, I think we're all kind of skirting around the main topic of, of Saturday's game. Um, the fact that there were four penalties given to Rangers, and, and let's be fair, there could have been five um, if you you know if, if you count the one on Morelos towards the end. I, I've been thinking, I don't know if there's ever been four penalties towards Rangers, certainly no in my lifetime that I can think of. Last time I can think of anything like that was when we got three penalties away at, at Dens Park. Must have been about 10 years ago. Barry Ferguson took some of them. Um, Pete, what did you make of the four penalties? How many penalties really should we have had? We've all had time to see replays. We've all read every article that's been written under the sun about these. How many penalties do you think we really should have had? 
The first one was a stone wall. That was a definite penalty. The second one, uh, I don't even think Defoe thought it was a penalty. I think he just fell and tried to get up as quick as possible. And obviously he didn't want to say to the referee, or somebody even said that he did say to the referee it wasn't a penalty, but I, I, I can't, don't know whether that's true or not. But um, and the, I was actually, when I, when I first saw them, I thought, well, the, the handball and the Candias one, uh, I, I thought they're outside the box. But when you see it slowed down, they're, they're definitely inside the box. So I think it was great decisions from the, the referee. You can see that, I mean, the, the rule is that even if it starts outside the box and you take it into the box, then it's still a penalty. And you can just see the hand, the handball incident is right into the box. It's still on his hands. So it's a penalty. Exactly. That's the key point. You've hit the, hit the nail on the head there. The key point is no matter where the foul starts, if it continues into the box, it's a penalty. And the reason I know that is because I think last season on one of these podcasts, um, a penalty was given against us. And I said, well, that foul started outside the box, so surely you give the foul where it started. And someone actually on the Jersnet forum pulled me up on it and said that, you know, you, that's not the rule. So now that, you know, we all know that the rule is if it starts outside the box and it carries on into the box, it's a, it's a penalty. It's, it's written in black and white. Christine, do you agree with Pete's assertions that three of them were penalties? I do. Um, I thought that... Um I thought at the time the first one was, like Pete said, stonewaller. Wasn't convinced with the second one and when we missed it, I thought, well, maybe justice was done there because probably, you know, I think it was a bit soft. Um, the the handball, I think, um, and nobody seems to have brought this up, but as well as putting his hands over his face, in the box... When it came down, he also handballed it, if you look at it again. Do you know, so when his hand was at his side, he kind of moved the ball <coughs> with his hand inside the penalty box. Oh, well, he, he, well, he practically caught the ball. It was yes. it was resting in his arms, you know. Yep. And um, the fourth one, I need to look at it again. I thought it was, it was debatable, but I wasn't sure. Um, but then the Morelis one, to me, that was a stonewaller. Aye. I, I, I'm similar line of thought as you. I think the first was, was clear as day. The second, it's almost as if Defoe expected a bit more contact, so was ready to go down. And when that contact never came, he always tried to kind of pull out and it just ended up in this wee little stumble. And actually, when I saw it, you know, from my position, first time I saw it, I did think penalty. But then I've seen it back and gone, actually, no, it, it, it wasn't a penalty. So mm-hmm. I can actually see why the ref's given it. Yeah, um, you know, at the speed the ball was going and everything, you can see you can see why the ref's given it. The the handball is, you know, to me that's that's clear as well. The guy's caught the ball and he's carried it into the box, um, and I, I it was it was close. You know, was it in? Was it out? But you know, the the photos are, are clear as day. Is he's in the box? Even if he's if he's on the line, he's in the box, and it's a penalty. Well, Sky Sports they 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 done a, they brought in that referee Gallagher from England. And he said as well, they, they slowed it right down and did a, a far better angle of it. And you can just see that uh, even with Candias, the guy's still holding his leg when he's in the box. So that that's the, the following the rule 
that it starts outside the box, he's still in the box. When he goes into the box, it's a foul. Then it's, it's a definite penalty. And Gallagher said that as well. With all the three penalties we're talking about, he said he said that the full one as well wasn't didn't think it was a penalty, but although he couldn't really see how much contact there was. That's the thing, it's still it's still slightly ambiguous how much contact there was. Yeah. Yeah. Aye. But the funny thing as well is I think I don't know who it was that, that let the referee that supports Celtic, Conroy is it you call him? Oh he, aye. He he picked he picked the uh, all three not to be penalties. Oh, I wonder why. Yeah. Oh, Listen, and like we say, the the potential fifth penalty on Morelos, you've seen them given. You've seen them given it, you know, hundreds of times. But I think the pressure on the referee is already given four penalties. He's 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 never given a fifth. But look, when you're we come up against industrial, almost agricultural sites like St Mirren every other week. And when your entire game plan is to break up play and to kick lumps out of the other players, you've just got to make sure you're being careful if you do that near the box. Because if you start kicking lumps out of the players in the box, you're going to give away penalties. It's no, it, it's no rocket science. If you commit a foul in the box, it's a penalty. So I think we, we can clearly establish that Fouls have been committed. There was questions as to whether they were inside or outside of the box. We've seen the video evidence that they were inside the box. You'd think that that would be enough to put this all to bed, but in the um, the media circus that is Scottish football, um, where some people are absolutely stealing a wage in the media, we've had an unbelievable fallout. As we all, I think, as we all knew, there would be. Um, Pete, have you been keeping an eye on what the Scottish media have been saying on these penalties? Yeah, well, it's been it's it's been a sort of a mixed bag of uh, how many penalties Rangers got that weren't justified, wasn't it? There's I've, I've really only Sky Sports I saw that they they said that the, the most penalties were good penalties. Um, but uh, as I say, Conroy he was wheeled in, and then he ended up with a big uh, thing about in his day that. All the referees were Rangers supporters except him, so it's it's, it's absolutely stupid. It's the way the way they're going on about it, but it's just anything they can do to get a kick at Rangers, isn't it? It's disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. I mean, obviously, it all then takes this form of conspiracy, this conspiracy, that. If you look at the stats, of course, who's had the more penalties over the last two seasons? Celtic have had them. Who's had the more red cards over the last two seasons? Rangers have had them. So. If you look at the stats, there's no no shred of evidence that there's any refereeing conspiracy towards Rangers. Of course there isn't. Of course there isn't. But it, it, it doesn't stop people. Christine, how about yourself? Have you been keeping an eye on the media and what they're all saying about this? Yeah, I tend not to, you know, I try not to read them, to be honest, because it just gets me annoyed. And you think, you know, some of these idiots, you're actually giving them, you know, credence by even reading what they're saying. But um, I just, it was, I mean, nobody mentioned the two penalties we should have got at Cowden Beast that we didn't. Exactly. You know, it's, um, it's just one of these things. I mean, it, it was it was strange being there and seeing, you know, penalty after penalty because you just don't normally get that. But, you know, what if it is? What if, a, you know, a, a, a club gives away that many penalties do you expect? The referee just, or not to give them because I've already given two or I've already given three. If the referee thinks it's a penalty, he should give it. 
that's that's the key point. And I've seen I've seen folk on online on Twitter and on forums and all sorts saying, you know, you should never have four penalties in a game. Well, why not? Why should you never have four penalties in a game if if there are four fouls committed in the box? There's, there's four penalties. I mean, it's uh, the disappointing thing with the media. It's not disappointing; it's wholly expected. But the um, the sad thing about the media is the fact that even when, let us say, there was, you know, as soon as the penalties were given, there was perhaps some genuine debate to be had: were these penalties because were they inside or outside the box? Specifically, with the last two, were they inside? Were they outside the box? But as soon as you show them the photo that. And the proof that both fouls continued into the box, and you explain the rule that if it's a foul that continues into the box, then it's a penalty. You'd expect the media to kind of run with that, but they don't. They they, they happily ignore that part to focus on the controversy of four penalties, despite the fact that um, you know it's it's been proved that he's carried on inside the box. That's the bit that really annoys me. And and Christine, I'm I'm glad you kind of brought up the cow and beef game because we'll, we'll move on to that in a second to talk about the game in, in more detail, but. It's it's striking the fact that the media are going to town on these penalties, but they only ever go to town on refereeing decisions when it benefits Rangers. When there are shocking refereeing decisions that don't benefit Rangers, we don't have five days of media fallout and trial by newspaper. We haven't seen you know columns and columns and columns of media articles written about Craig Thompson's performance at Cowdenbeath when he could have given us another three penalties there. Mm-hmm. Quite justifiably. So Ros, why is it? Ros, can I come in on that as well? Sure. See, when you even go back to the Celtic game, not one person, I, I talked to a lot of Celtic supporters that day, and not one of them mentioned Morellis. It wasn't until at night BBC done uh, pulled it right down to micro slow uh, show, uh, videos of showing what Morellis did that it became about a talking point. Aye. During the game, there was absolutely, and, and after it, the guys in the pubs and things like that, nobody was talking about it. No. It was the day after it all started. Aye. Not, not too much about the handball either, that game. Who was it, McGregor? Aye, good point. I completely forgot about that. Aye, nothing, nothing mentioned about that in the media. Mm-hmm. It's just a different, we, you know, it's different rules for Rangers. It's as simple as that. And... Um, I don't know what we do about it because I don't see it ever stopping. And maybe aye. if it is stopped, we're doing something wrong. Aye, aye fair point. But they're jealous. They'll always be jealous. They'll always be in the shadow. Right, guys, I think we will leave St Mirren there and we're going to take a wee look back now at the Cowdenbeath game midweek. Obviously, these are, of course, always difficult games going to a lower league opposition in the Cup. Um, it's their Cup final. It's the biggest game of their season. Um, we all probably would have hoped for a 7 or 8 nothing pumping but in truth that was probably never likely to happen Christine what did you make of the overall performance back on Wednesday? It wasn't a great watch really Ross was it? It was um, it was quite you know there wasn't a lot of good football played in it we won and that's it and to me uh, it was interesting though I noticed that a uh, Rab Boyle was on Twitter I think it was um, saying how he had um, gone onto the pitch at the end of the game and it was absolutely solid so I think the pitch maybe needs although it had all this treatment beforehand I would imagine it was a really, really cold night and I would imagine that as the time was going on, the pitch was just becoming harder and harder and maybe more difficult to play. 
So I'll um, probably bringing us down to more to the, the level of cow and beef rather than anything else. But um, do you know? I think I think with the cup, it's just get through to the next round, and then we'll we'll see how it goes from there. And we did that, so I don't. I wouldn't want to be too critical. I I think you're you're probably quite right there talking about the pitch. The pitch will have made a difference in that it's. It's a, it's a leveller. And, uh, you know, it's the same for both teams, of course it is, but only one of those teams has the benefit of training three times a week on a pitch that has stock car tracks through the middle of it. So it's it's a leveller, but if you're more used to it, then it's it's going to be slightly easier. The stupid, the, the, stu- the stupid thing, though, was that they called the game off and the park was probably a lot better than it was last week. Aye, and if you believe the media on that, that was Jimmy Bell's fault. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Mental. Um, Listen, Pete, what did you make of the game? Because obviously there's uh, some less easy to please fans have been saying that we were poor, we should have done a lot better. Do you believe we maybe should have done better than we did? We're, is it fair to say we were poor? Well, I, th- I think you've got to take the pitch into consideration. Um, You've obviously seen that Rangers played a lot more of the long ball. Normally we, we keep try and keep possession in, uh, in our own half and, and break into the opposition's half. But now it's just really from the backs, long ball up front and then try and close down and cow and beat in their own half. But um, I thought it was a, a game of two halves. I, th- I thought uh, we played well the first half, obviously got three goals. And then the second half, a lot of people were saying that cow and beat were better in the second half, but they weren't better. The Rangers, Rangers still were better, but cow and beat obviously came into it and, and Rangers weren't as dominant in the second half. But it's certainly a game of, of two halves. But as I say, the, going towards into the second half, the, the part was just getting harder and harder and harder. So it it's became virtually impossible to play football, I think. You know, I think that it slightly showed up our weaker players for for you know, showing that lack of quality. And I, I don't want to name him by name, but it's just... John Flanagan, I thought, was was really toiling out there and struggled to control the ball, struggled to pass the ball, caught out of position. Didn't he looked like he didn't want to be there? And I thought when Stephen Gerrard came out after the game saying that certain fringe players were given a chance to impress tonight and they did not take that chance, I thought that was aimed squarely at, at Mr. Flanagan. So I think we'll perhaps uh, no be seeing too much of him uh, for the rest of the season, which is I don't know maybe maybe a shame, but he was brought in. To be a backup, you'll be a, ba- a backup. I just I, his performance disappointed me. Well, he's about third third choice now, isn't he? And right back and left back now that, that American guys come in. Aye, exactly. Um, Matt Poster, and I'm sure that he'll take a wee while to get up to speed, to get up to fitness with the rest of him. He's probably assigning him with with one eye on next season rather than this season. But aye, you're right. He's, he's third choice. But I don't know about you, Pete. But I don't think he's showed anything that would make him. Anything other than third choice in both positions? Yeah, well, I was I was just going to say that I was going to come in and say it, it wouldn't take him long to catch up with Flanagan, <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's, it, I, I've never liked him. To be honest, uh, I did, I've never thought he was Rangers class. And when you see the likes of uh, Andy Halliday, is probably going to be now the number two at left back. Aye, because Barisic, uh, and even then. A lot of people are saying Howard is better than Barisic, but for me it's not. For you, you can just see the class 
directing off Barisic. Once once he gets up, Rob, to full speed, he just looks brilliant. I I completely agree. I think that Howard has done done great this season. Absolutely great. And who would have thought that 12 or 18 months ago when he was being bombed out to Azerbaijan that he'd come back and play such an important role? Um, and I, I, I absolutely love seeing him in the squad now, whereas last season I'd have paid his bus fare to get him as far away from Ibrox as possible. Um, but I agree with you, Pete, in that Barisic is the number one choice left back. He's the most natural, most accomplished left back. Um, it's a shame that he's struggled with injuries. I, Christine, what did you make of the comments from Gerard sort of over the winter break when, when Barisic was going down under a heavy challenge against Helsinki? It almost seemed like he was getting frustrated at Barisic for, I don't know, maybe not having the resilience for the for the Scottish game. Do you think that's a fair comment? I think it probably is a fair comment. Um, and I'll, I'll have to say I had... Um, a really, really bad flu in January, so I gave the Helsinki game a miss, although it was on Rangers TV, so I still managed to see it. Um, but I wasn't sure um, exactly what he meant by his comments, but then when I looked at it again, um, yeah, it was a, the, the, the amount of times that he had um, hit the, the ground, wasn't it? I sort of thumping the turf. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, so... I think that was maybe a wee bit unfair because he, you know, I, I think at the time he made the comments, he wasn't really clear on the extent of of the injury. It could have been a bad one, but I, I, you know, and I, I don't see players hitting the turf like that unless they're really in pain. Why would they do it? So there's almost. A, sorry, there's a, a story in the Daily Record today. Or should I say the Daily Rebel? Um, that uh, with, with Barisic. And he said that the boss had a word with him and that he's got to man up to Scottish football. Oh, right. So, so uh, and I believe he's doing extra weight training and things like that to get his body uh, up, up to scratch as well. Right. It almost hinted at, you know, things going on that we couldn't quite see. So things going on maybe at the training ground, maybe he's, ah, gaffer, I can't do this session because I'm feeling a tight hamstring or I've got a sore hip or whatever I can't I can't take part in this and if you know, everyone knows that Scottish football is industrial everyone knows that it's physical and you'll you'll take knocks and certain players I mean how many players have we seen who are creative who are flair players have come to Scotland and been kicked from pillar to post and run away with their tails in their legs both for us and for Celtic um, Barisic has taken a lot of investment from Rangers, both in terms of, I don't know what his salary is, but I'm sure it's, you know, very handsome and paid a lot of money to take him from Osijek. Obviously, he was their club captain, very highly rated over in Croatia. So Rangers have invested in this lad. And I think Gerard's probably seeing a wee bit more than we're able to see, obviously, at at the training centre, which has possibly just caused a wee bit of frustration. And look, Gerard's the manager. Gerard knows how to manage his players. You know, if there's anyone that I would trust to motivate a group of players, it's Steven Gerrard. We've all seen what he can do. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, I think as far, in terms of Barisic, I mean, he's been unfortunate because he, he was out for so long with that bad injury. But um, you know, he's not been used to that type of game in Croatia. It's completely different. It's more the, the kind of technical thing that we were talking about earlier on. So he just needs to get used to this. This is Scottish football. This is the way way it goes and I'm sure he will be I'm sure he'll get to the stage where he'll be he'll get used to it a wee bit more and hopefully 
become an even better player for us. I absolutely. Obviously, we we did manage to to get through that game against Cowden Beef, nice and comfortable, no injuries through to the next round. Fantastic. It's quite a tough proposition now going away to Rugby Park and facing Kilmarnock, who obviously took three points off us a couple of weeks back um, down in Ayrshire. Christine, how do you assess our chances against Killy and, and what changes do you think we're going to need to make to squeeze by? I think we're probably going to have to go back to the, you know, the 4-3-3. I don't think we can afford really to play uh, Defoe and Mirellis up, you know, both up front again. Um, I'm just hoping that we don't make the horrendous mistakes that we made um, in the league game against them. And um, I think we've... We're very, very capable of beating them if we play to our, our best and they play to their best. I think we will win, but we just can't have any slack play. Well, look, we know we can do it. We've put them, obviously, put them out of the League Cup earlier on in the season at Rugby Park on, on the Astro. So we know we can do it and I, I hope, really hope that this squad can show some maturity and show some football intelligence and, and prove that lessons have been learned from that last game at Rugby Park. But listen, that, that leads us really nicely onto our, our third and final topic for this evening. I kind of wanted to just touch on the squad, how the squad's shaping up. Um, and we've alluded to it so far, this, the squad rotation that we've had over the last few weeks and, and the tactical situation since we come back from the winter break. Um, it's almost like since the winter break, since the January recruitment, there's been a lot of questions over team selection and tactics. What is our best 11 and how do we find that right balance of players? Christine, you alluded there to the 4-3-3 the versus the 4-4-2. We've seen Diamond tried a couple of times and, and was unsuccessful at, at Rugby Park a couple of weeks ago. Probably not so successful in the first half against St. Mirren at the weekend there. Um in my view, if I'm if I'm being perfectly honest, I think the squad as a whole is slightly bloated in certain areas. Some fringe players may be now in a in a more difficult position. You know, if you're thinking about Lafferty, Flanagan, as we've mentioned, Koulibaly, Fodringham, I think I'm trying to say that we almost have a couple of two different tiers of players. We've got some players who are guaranteed starters every week because they're of a certain quality, and and some fringe players who don't quite have the same level. Um, are, are, you know, aren't quite as good as some of the other players. Pete, what kind of shape do you think the squad is in now with a few months left of this title challenge? Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're certainly playing far better, I think, than, than we were. We're far more balanced now than we were. Um, Stephen Davis, I'm not, I'm not overly uh, happy that he's back to be honest with you I don't I, I, I was I wasn't a great fan of him the first time round maybe that's strange but I, I think he's a player that disappears when the going gets tough and uh, I, I, I far prefer Jack and McCrory uh, I like when McCrory plays with Jack uh, Jack in the more advanced position I think you could a lot of people said that Jack didn't have a lot to offer going forward. But I think when you've seen uh, on Sunday, or Saturday, sorry, it was when he came on, that uh, Jack, he really can play good because he just changed the game on Sunday. He, he, he controlled the midfield. And that was something that Davis couldn't. I must admit, Davis isn't up to, up to scratch yet. But for me, the two midfielders are, are McCrory and Jack. Uh, for the rest, I think the defence... Uh, I, uh, 
yeah, Warrell. <laughs> that was uh, he made that big mistake against Kilmarnock, didn't he? He did. But but yeah, he he still had some good games. He played well on Saturday and he played well against the Celtic. So, but I think when Goldens come in and for me, Cattage always was the best between Warrell and Cattage. So I would be playing Cattage. Now Barisic, we've already had. Uh, Kent's coming on to a great game. Uh, no, and I think Defoe, the way Defoe played on Saturday as well, showed that he can uh, play a lot. Formation, I think, against uh, Aberdeen and Wednesday and probably Kilmarnock. I think we'll move back to the uh, to the old system with McCrory and Jack and probably the team that started with Celtic. So it's a way to say it. Aye, I mean, that was the question I was going to ask is, you know, do we carry on with this experiment of the diamond um, against Kilmarnock or, or do we sort of slot back to the 4-3-3 that's kind of tried and tested? Christine, where do you come down on this? Well, I think the diamond didn't work the last time at Kilmarnock and um, I would just go for the, you know, similar to the, the Celtic lineup, obviously, with Barisic in ahead of Andy Halliday. Um, what, the, the one thing I have noticed now is that when you look in our bench, I mean, quite often before you were looking at the bench and thinking, there isn't really a player on the air that can come on and perhaps change the game. Whereas I think we've, we've got that now. We've got much more of a, a balance. And I think we are a bit top-heavy in midfielders, to be honest, but um, do you know, I, I still think we can put out a team in the park plus people in the bench that can make a difference to us. And that's really all you want for your team, isn't it? Aye, absolutely. Christine, what's your opinion on Kyle Lafferty? Um, and, and what kind of role do you think he will be playing for the rest of the season? Well, I've never been a great fan of Kyle, I'm afraid. I mean, he, he used to come good towards the end of the season, if I can remember correctly. And I was down at Kilmarnock that day when he, he scored um, to win the league. So, but I, I, he's just never been a favourite of mine. I know that when he was with Hearts, he scored some great goals against Celtic, but I just haven't seen it since he's come back. And I know, to be fair, he's not played an awful lot, but he's not a favourite of mine. I have to hold my hands up and say that. I mean, if he's not playing, there's, there's there's probably a reason why he's not playing and that he's not doing it in training. And he's now got two absolutely top-class strikers ahead of him in in Alfredo Morelos and Jermaine Defoe, who are going to be incredible. They'll be, they'll be battling. If we're playing one lone striker up top, it's between those two. There's there's no question about it. Those two are battling it out. So the, the question then is, where does Kyle Lafferty fit in this squad? And with hindsight, was it... Was it poor recruitment to bring Kyle Lafferty in? Was it maybe a wee bit of a panic buy? Well, if I can come in on that, then for me, I think we brought the, bought the wrong player from Hearts. I would have brought back Stephen Naismith. I know that'll be uh, not, not liked by a lot of Rangers supporters, but he's a far better, he's a far better player than Lafferty ever was. And I think he was the number 10 that, that would have, we were calling out for at the beginning of the season. And for the, the first part of the season, um, that that uh, that I know it's water under the bridge now, but that's the way I would have went. Laverty's never been my favourite either. I mean, 
he's a lot more injury prone though, Naismith. I don't even know if he's what he's up to this season. I don't really see his name flying around too much. I'm not watching Hearts games or anything, but he seems like he's he's well, always that, struggling with injuries. Well, I think that's, 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 yeah, I think he's had an injury, Rose. Sorry, um, David. Yeah, but Hearts were top of the league when yeah. he, when he was playing, and yeah. then they had an injury and they fell away. And now that he's back in again, they started winning games again. So he's he's obviously making a big difference to them. Ah, I mean, he's, he's, there's there's talent, of course. I mean, Christine, how about you? I mean, this is such a divisive and contentious issue with whether you would or wouldn't welcome back Stephen Naismith. It's not as if it's you know uh, Cristiano Ronaldo or something like that. Ah, he's 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 got quality and very well could improve the side. But considering everything that went on in 2012, are you in the camp that would? never be able to forgive and forget. I tend not to be like that with um, players. I mean, I know um, my wee friend Simon, uh, Simon Leslie. Um, hello, Simon, if you're listening. Um, he absolutely hated Kenny Miller. He could not forgive Kenny Miller for signing for Celtic. And he got to the stage where he didn't celebrate any goals that Kenny Miller scored for us. He didn't count them. So if we won 2-1... And Miller had scored one of them. It was one each, according to him. <laughs> um, but that is a bit extreme. But I think there's a lot of players with Renee Smith because he took part in that press conference. Um, just maybe wouldn't accept him. But I just want I want what's best for the team. So if, if it's best for the team that he that he's he's in the team, then I, I don't mind. I don't hold I don't hold grudges. I mean, I, I can see both sides of it. It's a, it's a difficult one. And, and obviously, I think we are all still wounded by everything that happened in 2012. If, it, Like I say, if it was Cristiano Ronaldo or Eden Hazard, then you know it's, that's when you can turn a blind eye to things that were said in the past. But considering the boy's age and, and the eye, the quality that he had, but it wasn't a you know, top-level quality, then I don't know. I don't know where I come down on it. And I'm glad I never really had to... Had to make a decision there. No, as I say, it's a mute point now, anyways, isn't it? Aye, exactly. If we go back to the players that we that we did bring in, obviously the squad, like I said, now there's Christine's alluded to it as well. It's a wee bit top heavy in some areas. We seem to have collected a fair few midfielders, um, even signing, you know, Glenn Camara's come in, uh, although probably won't play too much before the end of the season, um, get him up to up to full fitness and and bring him in where we can. Same with Matt Polster, who can play right back or centre mid. So it seems like we've, we've certainly got a fair few players that can play in a couple of different positions and definitely a good squad coverage. Um, Pete, do you think maybe we've got such a large pool of talented players that, that fitting them all into the matchday squad is going to prove a, a wee bit of a headache for Gerard? Gerard keeps saying that he, he, he wants a play, two players for every position. And, well, he's got that plus, the, as you say, a lot of players can play in different positions. But uh, are, we, are we carrying too many? Probably. I believe we had 23, so you can pick 18. So we had uh, five players on the, on the bench. Or not, sorry, not on the, not on the bench and sitting in the stand. Yeah, well, Flanagan, I can quite agree with that. But yeah, Lafferty, I, I think he'll probably... Uh, keep his keep a place in the bench. Middleton, yeah, the young boy. The last time Houston, Houston came on against Cowden Beath, but I doubt he'll be on the bench every time. So yeah, I, I don't really 
don't really think we've got too much. I think I think maybe quality, maybe not so deep once you go further down, and that that's that's where I think you can get better quality because as I, you, I think we've all said tonight that Flanagan is just not the quality that we need. Of course, but then the difficulty is that it's it's hard to bring in quality if they kind of know that they're going to be sat on the bench, you know, a quality player is not going to want to come and, and be second fiddle to, to a better player. So I think the quality is always going to naturally decrease as you go deeper into the squad. But, but you're right in that some players have certainly got a very limited future at this club, I'd, I'd like to say. I think it's you know, Flanagan probably doesn't have too long. You know, the, the, the strange one for me is Wes Fodringham in that, I, thought, I always thought he was a decent keeper. He was never set in the header alight. He was always solid. I thought against Cowdenbeath, he was his decision making was poor. He said, you know, a couple of times he came for the ball and and made himself look a wee bit foolish. Um, so that's I think that's what I mean when I say there's kind of two tiers of, of players in the squad. You've got the really top level players like your Defoe, your Morelos, your Ryan Kent, and then it drops down to a kind of second level of players like your Flanagans, your Fodringhams. Um, Maybe Koulibaly as well. Obviously, he'll be punted back away to, to France at the end of the season. Christine, how about you? What do you make of players like Koulibaly and Fodringham? What, do you think they'll be able to have too much impact before the end of the season? I would doubt it, probably, because as long as Alan McGregor sees fit, you know that he's going to be the guy in possession um, in terms of the goalkeeper's uh, post. I don't know whether Stevie G will play Fodringham in the cup. Um, who knows? But I think really big games they won't. You know, McGregor will get the nod ahead of Fodringham. I'm surprised. I thought Fodringham might have gone in the, the window, but he didn't. Uh, but who, you know, who else have we got? We've got the young Ro- Ross McCrory's brother. Um, Aye, Robbie. Robbie, thanks. Thanks for that, Ross. <laughs> I was trying to like, oh, what's his name again? Um, and that probably he's not experienced enough. Um, did we sign another? Did we sign? Aye. So we we sent Robbie McCrory's gone out on loan to um, Greenock Morton under JJ. Right. He's gone. We've got Fodringham obviously sitting on the bench. We've got Jack Annick is still technically our player. He's um, he's away at Scunthorpe on loan, and by all accounts. Absolutely doing doing wonderful down in Scunthorpe, and I'm, I'm a, a good pal. I mean, a Scunthorpe fan, um, and and they they love the guy, absolutely love him. And I I think come the end of the season, there will be a small fee exchanging hands, and it'll be best for all parties that Jack Anik just stays where he is. But ah, you're right. We signed uh, Ben Firth came up from uh, non-league in England from Barrow. He was he was a youngster at Liverpool for many years and worked under Stephen Gerrard. He said that Mick Beale was his under-18s coach. Um, he was playing in the same teams as John Flanagan and Ryan Kent in the youths at Liverpool. So it's it's a strange one in that we, we farm out Ross, uh, Robbie McCrory and then bring in Ben Firth. So I'm not, I'm not quite sure how that all fits together. Who knows? Who knows? If he's fourth choice now, does that make him the fifth or fourth? <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Right. Excellent. How long have you been sitting on that? You've been sitting on that for about three weeks now, Pete, waiting for someone to bring that up. No, I will. I, I, I couldn't even remember the guy's name, to be honest with you. If <laughs> <laughs> I've been sitting on that one for four weeks, I'd have fell off my seat, I think. <laughs> <laughs> That's unreal. Right. I think that is probably 
uh, as good a place as any to leave that. As always, the time has absolutely flown by. It's probably time to wrap it up for another week. Obviously, I'd like to say a, a huge thank you to both Pete and Christine for their excellent insight this evening. Always fantastic guests to have on the show. Um, I hope you've all enjoyed the show this evening. Please do head over to the website, www.jersnet.co.uk. Loads more fantastic content. It's always worth signing up to the forum. You'll find myself, Pete and Christine there. You can always get involved with the discussion. Check out all the other great content on the website. We'll be back next week with Colin in the hot seat running the rule over some difficult games away at Aberdeen and facing St. Johnson as well. So please do subscribe to the show. Make sure you don't miss a thing. All that's left for me to say is a, a huge thank you as always for listening and have a great week. Mm-hmm.